I'm Tracy Sable. Tonight on EWTN News Nightly, the end of an era. A look back at the life and legacy of Senator Dianne Feinstein. Desperate for time. Lawmakers rush to avoid a government shutdown. We have a report and analysis. Violent attack. Scores are dead as a suicide bombing shakes Pakistan. And College of Cardinals. A preview of a special ceremony taking place tomorrow at the Vatican. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us on the feast of Saints Gabriel, Michael, and Raphael Archangels. Our top story tonight, Diane Feinstein, whose three decades in the Senate made her the longest-serving female U.S. senator in history, has died following months of declining health. She was 90 years old. The California Democrat was an influential voice on intelligence matters, gun laws, and was a staunch supporter of abortion. From the White House to Congress, she was remembered as a giant in American politics. She was a historic figure, trailblazer for women, and a great friend. Diane made her mark in everything from national security to the environment, to gun safety, to protecting civil liberties. The country's going to miss her dearly, and so will Jill and I. A San Francisco native and Stanford University graduate, Senator Feinstein first came to national prominence in 1978. Feinstein became San Francisco's first female mayor following the assassination of George Moscone. She led the city for 10 years. Feinstein was elected to the U.S. Senate in a 1992 special election, part of the Year of the Women, and became the state's first female senator. Today, Flowers stood atop her black-draped Senate desk as Senate leaders paid tribute to Senator Feinstein's 30 years in the chamber. She was smart. She was strong. She was brave. She was compassionate. But maybe the trait that stood out most of all was her amazing integrity. Diane was a trailblazer in her beloved home state of California, and our entire nation are better for her dogged advocacy and diligent service. Senator Feinstein championed liberal priorities for California and the nation, including environmental protection and advocated for abortion. Susan B. Anthony, Pro-Life America, graded her an F, stating on their scorecard, Senator Feinstein has consistently voted to eliminate or prevent protections for children born alive after failed abortions and the unborn, including voting to use hard-earned tax dollars to pay for elective abortion. As the ranking member of the Judiciary Committee in 2020, Senator Feinstein repeatedly pressed Supreme Court nominee Amy Coney Barrett, a Catholic, on whether Roe v. Wade was wrongfully decided. In 2022, Senator Feinstein authored the Senate version of the Respect for Marriage Act, enshrining gay marriage into federal law. Senator Feinstein was also known for reaching across the aisle as a longtime member of the Intelligence Committee. She worked with Republicans on national security issues and CIA reforms. Her California colleague, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, praised Senator Feinstein's career. As California's longest-serving senator, Senator Feinstein broke barriers and blazed a trail for women. Her career was, by any standards, historic. Due to failing health, Senator Feinstein had announced that she would not seek re-election next year. Senator Feinstein died Thursday night at the age of 90. 
Well, it is all but official. The government will be shutting down Sunday. A band of House conservatives voted down a GOP bill to keep the government open for another month. Starting Monday, military and federal employees, including border agents, will not be paid. Airline travel will likely slow and national parks will be closed. Before the vote, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy urged his fellow Republicans to consider the one-time continuing resolution. As we continue to get conservative wins and return to regular order, we actually need a stopgap measure to allow the House to continue to finish its work, to make sure our military gets paid, to make sure our border agents get paid as we finish the job that we're supposed to do. Another reason for the stopgap is to address President Biden's historic failure on the southern border. Even if Speaker McCarthy gets enough Republicans on board and passes the stopgap measure, the spending levels and border measures would likely doom it in the Senate, which expects to pass their own version of a continuing resolution this weekend. And with us now is Brent Sadler, Senior Research Fellow for Naval Warfare at Advanced Technology in the Center for National Defense at the Heritage Foundation. He is also a 26-year Navy veteran. Brent, thank you so much for being here and thank you for your service. Um, let's talk a little bit more about how a government shut down will impact our military and military readiness. What can we expect? Well, I think the first and most important thing is it won't impact ongoing military operations uh, and certainly won't impact uniform military personnel's pay if the shutdown doesn't go beyond two weeks. Uh, more importantly, I guess, on, and what would actually get impacted would be contractor support and very likely some civilian work that might be going on. But again, if it is deemed essential or critical to the mission, those folks will still be going to work. They will eventually get their pay uh, returned to them when the government gets back to business. So, so, so no one is not going to get paid in the end. But it will impact people's daily lives that are working for the government, to include uniformed officers and sailors uh, and airmen, if, especially if this goes into the next payday. Everyone got paid today. Next paycheck comes out the middle of October. And how big of a concern is this? Well, again, it's, it's concerning and it sends a message to Americans, but also to our allies and our enemies overseas, that, we're, that we really have an unserious government. This, this potential shutdown is not the first one. It certainly probably won't be the last one, unfortunately. Uh, but it's symptomatic of, of a political, I guess, break it down in our country right now that needs to get addressed. And the American public, I think, is waking up to it. There's certainly the lessons that we're drawing from this. That there's a lot of services that probably better to be taken by the state or put back into the hands of, a, of the citizens where actually be a lot more responsibly handled and not held hostage to this annual uh, budgetary fights. But I'm curious, in terms of morale, I mean, does this have any impact on our military? It, when I went through several of these, I did not sense in the past that there was any indication that it impacted our morale. Again, most of these, these uh, shutdowns didn't impact our pay. And we had, we had infrastructure, we had... Uh, organizations in place to help sailors and families that were in need. We're a very tight-knit organization in the uniform services. And so I did not witness anything of that of that nature. I've been out, uh, retired now for three years. Uh, I'm not sure that world events, I'm not sure that the erosion of the last few years of confidence in our military and the morale is coming from a better place. So it's an open question in my mind. But certainly it just adds to a continuing narrative that we are unserious about our defense. 
We're in serious about running our government. Yeah, uh, kind of jumping off of that, uh, Deputy Defense Secretary Kathleen Hicks said recently, quote, as bad as it could be to have a CR, which we always want to avoid, it would be even worse for the defense of the nation to have a shutdown. Brett, your thoughts as we do face threats from abroad and here at home? Well, as I said, I, I mean, for the adversaries that are perhaps listening to this, the military is still going to be on watch, and it's still going to be a lethal defense uh, for U.S. interest and livelihood of American citizens all over the world. That's not going to change. Uh, paychecks will eventually be, will be paid and people will get their salary. It just may come at a later time. That does inconvenience families and that does inconvenience, you know, trying, people trying to make the bill, keep the bills paid on time. So... That's something I think that we need to consider, and certainly the politicians here in D.C. need to actually put that also in, in the front of their mind as they're making these decisions. Um, Brent, quickly, almost out of time, but I do want to touch on this. Uh, today was General Mark Milley's last day as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Curious your thoughts yeah. on his legacy and also his successor, Air Force General Charles Q. Brown. Yeah, so... Um, with his new successor, again, there was a lot made to do about uh, Senator Tuberville's hold. That actually didn't actually materialize. We have his, we have the chairman's replacement and CQ Brown coming into place to be the next chairman through a, a cloture motion. And so that those backlogs will continue to be cleared with the most important operational military bill that's being filled, I hope, through cloture votes in the future. As far as uh, General Milley, his, he has a checkered record quite frankly, in this town. Uh, and he used his closing speech to make a few political jabs, which, again, does not help this image of the military, uniformed senior officers, becoming highly politicized. So disappointed in his closing comments that took a, a not-so-veiled jab at the former president. All right, we're going to leave it right there. Brent, great to be with you. Thank you so much for your time and insights. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. And President Joe Biden he is warning how members of the military will be impacted by a shutdown. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen. Tracy, good evening to you. President Joe Biden made his remarks this morning while saying farewell to one top military leader and welcoming another. Our service members will keep upholding their oaths, showing up for work, standing sentinel around the world, keeping our country secure, but they won't get paid. It's a disgrace. President Joe Biden expresses anger about the impact of a government shutdown. He spoke at a farewell ceremony for the outgoing chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley. A warrior who served a total of five years in war zones. Congratulations, Chairman. Milley will be replaced by General Charles Q. Brown, Jr., who had to get past a block on Pentagon promotions. It's thoroughly, totally unacceptable that more than 300 other highly qualified military officers are still in limbo. I've been here a long time. I've never seen anything like this. Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville is holding the promotions until the Pentagon stops paying for troops to travel to get an abortion. And President Biden is also upset with House Republicans. He blames them for the dysfunction that could lead to a government shutdown. So does Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. The failure of House Republicans to act would hurt American families and cause economic headwinds that could undermine the progress we're making. And in the White House press briefing room today, Budget Director Shalanda Young says a shutdown would be devastating. Long-term disaster recovery would be further delayed, 
nutrition assistance for nearly 7 million women and children who rely on WIC would be jeopardized. Small businesses would lose out on more than $100 million a day in loans. What kind of choice is that? Now, even if there is a shutdown, and it's looking all but certain right now, Social Security payments for seniors will continue. They will continue. And as for President Biden attacking Senator Tuberville earlier today in that speech over his military holds, well, the senator responded on Twitter saying, thanks for the shout out, President Biden. This could all be over if the Secretary of Defense understood that Congress passes the laws. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. Well, as Congress tries to pass vetting bills, the U.S. Bishops Conference is asking them to fund the WIC program that Owen mentioned that helps low-income women and children acquire food. In a statement, the USCCB says in part, quote, rising food costs and increased program participation make strong investments in WIC more important than ever. Tell Congress to continue its long history of bipartisan support for WIC by providing the program with adequate resources. Also breaking tonight, the Archdiocese of Baltimore has declared bankruptcy. This, as a new Maryland law takes effect that could lead to an increase in lawsuits for historic cases of clergy abuse. Archbishop William Lurie recently issued an apology to survivors of clergy sexual abuse. He also promised to compensate victims and continue the archdiocese ministry. While the United Auto Workers strike is growing, the UAW says that 7,000 more automakers will join the now two-week-long walkout. The workers are from a Ford plant in Chicago and a General Motors factory in Michigan. The union president says that talks have not broken down, but that no meaningful progress has been made. And we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including bloodshed in Pakistan. We have the latest after a suicide bomber targets a religious service and reaction after the governor of California signs several bills to defend transgenderism. At least 52 people are dead following a suspected suicide bombing during a religious service in Pakistan. A crowd of people celebrating the birthday of Islam's prophet Muhammad when the bomb went off. Officials are still investigating whether it was a suicide attack. No group has claimed responsibility. Nearly 70 other people were injured. Thousands of women took part in a pro-abortion march in Latin America. The so-called International Safe Abortion Day took part in several countries, including Mexico and Argentina. A handful of countries in the region, including El Salvador and the Dominican Republic, retain a total ban on abortion. California Governor Gavin Newsom signed 10 bills this week, many focused on defending transgenderism. The Democrat-approved measures that include a reduction in funding for schools that restrict LGBTQ content from their classrooms. There also is a measure requiring that K-12 public schools provide all gender bathrooms by 2026. And the governor signed a bill to create task forces of transgender and same-sex attracted pupils for making recommendations on school policies. 
And joining us now is Dr. Jill Simons, executive director of the American College of Pediatricians, which is speaking out against the harm being done by transgender interventions on minors. Dr. Simons, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I know your organization is really concerned about what's happening to children and the harm being done to them. That said, do you have any concerns about these new laws in California and also the timing of them? Well, first of all, thank you for having me and allowing me to uh, speak out against uh, the harms that this transgender ideology is causing children. And certainly there's been a lot of activity in California recently. Uh, they seem to be um, pushing in the opposite direction from uh, our European allies that are um, getting away from harmful transgender interventions and trying to see um, more counseling and more um, whole uh, care for the child. Uh, California is going to the other extreme where um, if you are not affirming the child's transgender ideology, uh, then, you know, parents are losing their rights. People are afraid to uh, speak out. People are afraid to provide the actual care that these children need, which is counseling and looking into the whole needs of the child, social, emotional uh, needs. And you mentioned Europe, so speaking of that, a recent analysis in the United Kingdom found uh, taking puberty-blocking drugs has been shown to cause mental health issues in transgender children. Uh, the U.K. researchers found about one-third of the youth with gender dysphoria experience a decline in mental health after taking puberty blockers. Now, this study basically finding the opposite of what the Tavistock Clinic found in its research of so-called gender-affirming care to minors. That clinic, as we know, was shut down uh, by Britain's NHS last year. Dr. Simons, your thoughts on the results of this latest study, and are you at all surprised? Uh, you know, the United States would do well to follow the lead of the UK and these other countries by uh, taking a pause and looking into uh, the science and the research and the, the case studies. Um, they are learning that there are significant mental health uh, harms that are happening to children and that these so-called gender interventions uh, are not helping. And um, in the United States, uh, we need to stop these treatments and take a look at these look at the research, uh, look at the numbers, look at the data. Um, and I'm not surprised. And uh, in, in the United States, we will not be surprised if we look at these numbers like they have in the UK. And Dr. Simons, why do you think that is? I mean, why aren't we following uh, the lead of Europe when it comes to the research on this so-called gender-affirming care? It is a bit shocking. In, in every other area of medicine, we look at the research, we look at it objectively, we have discourse. But this issue in particular uh, any questioning of the so-called protocol is immediately shut down. And it, it's because this has become uh, an ideology where uh, these, these treatments, these beliefs are upheld and no one questions them. Uh, and it's been taken out of the hands of medicine, truly, uh, and, and dealt with uh, politically. We have a little less than a minute left, but I quickly want to get to this. I, I know uh, the American College of Pediatricians this week launched an initiative aimed at fighting back against transgender medical treatments for minors. What more can you tell us about the Biological Integrity Initiative? Yes, we're, we're very excited to launch this initiative. The biggest part of this initiative is our website, biologicalintegrity.org. And what it, the purpose of this is to get this information that I have um, that's out there 
um, get it into the hands of parents, of teachers, teens themselves, uh, also other pediatricians, other doctors, and importantly, policymakers, um, so that they can see for themselves uh, what's going on and the research and the truth. And, and that's the way that that we push back against this, because once you see the truth, once you see the data, um, it's it's no question what the answer has to be. Dr. Simons, thank you so much for your time today and for weighing in. We appreciate it. God bless. Thank you very much. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, the Universal Church report from the Vatican as Pope Francis prepares for the elevation of new cardinals from around the world. set at the Vatican for the elevation tomorrow of 21 new cardinals. 18 of them are under the age of 80 and would be able to vote in a conclave to choose the next pope. After tomorrow's consistory, there will be 243 members of the College of Cardinals. EWTN News Vatican correspondent Colin Flynn has more. Tomorrow morning at the Vatican, Pope Francis will create 21 new cardinals. This is his ninth consistory in 10 years. The Holy Father announced the new cardinals in July during a Sunday Angelus. 30 September prossimo, terrò un consistorio per la nomina di nuovi cardinali. A consistory is the formal ceremony in St. Peter's Basilica where the Pope presents the men named in his formal decree with a scarlet red hat called a beretta and a ring elevating them as cardinals. There are two key groups of cardinals, electors and non-electors. Only cardinals under the age of 80 are permitted to vote in a conclave for the next Pope, as the rule is once a cardinal turns 80 years old, they are called non-electors and no longer allowed to take part. Cardinals who are over 80 or who, you know, they were made cardinals before they turned 80 and then they turned 80, um, it's kind of an honor, especially those who are created cardinal after they've already turned 80. They're not, they already know they're not going to participate in a future conclave. At the moment, there are 221 cardinals in the world, and of them, 119 are allowed to vote for the next pope as they are under 80. With this new consistory, Pope Francis will create 21 new cardinals, of which 18 are under 80, and so will have a vote in the next conclave until they too turn 80. This means that Pope Francis will have created 121 cardinals from 66 countries. That's 55% of all the cardinals. And of the ones who can vote, Pope Francis will have created 98 of them, which is 72% of the cardinal electors. So with Pope Francis and this upcoming consistory, who are the type of men he is selecting to become cardinal and where are they from? This pope, compared to other popes, has traditionally chosen less of those those archbishops who are kind of expected to become cardinals. There are those uh, dioceses, archdioceses in the in the world that traditionally always had a cardinal as the head, and he has instead chosen uh, men from many different places in the world, and often places that have never had a, a, countries that have never had a cardinal before. The home countries of the cardinals are changing too with Pope Francis selecting more from parts of the world never before having a cardinal. From Mongolia to South Africa, one of the new cardinals being created is Stephen Brislin, Archbishop of Cape Town. 
I think the big challenge for us in South Africa is really to try to unite all the different communities that we serve. Because having come out of the apartheid era and the colonial period prior to that, people were divided and separated. And it's, we still have to work on reconciliation uh, between races, between peoples. And the church has got an enormously important role to play in that, of bringing about reconciliation and, and a true peace. Another important cardinal-elect is Bishop Stephen Chow Saiyan from Hong Kong. The challenge for Catholics in Hong Kong is um, come to really celebrate our faith in a meaningful way, helping Hong Kong to become better as a, as a, as a community. Uh, better in different ways, like you know, education we have. You know, how do we continue to provide good moral education in Hong Kong so we have moral citizens? I think that's important. Nowadays, when education becomes competitive and becomes like achievement-oriented, there's nothing wrong with being competitive and achievement, but the, the main thing for us, I think, is to the formation of the person. Pope Francis has said that these new cardinals represent the universality of the Catholic Church that he hopes will continue to proclaim the merciful love of God to all people on earth. In Rome, Colm Flynn, EWTN Newsnightly. And to see more about the consistory, tune in to EWTN News in Depth at 8 p.m. Eastern tonight, right here on EWTN. We thank you for watching tonight. And remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.